a special edition of the SLGND Sheriff Wallace and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. We're calling this the interview series, and today we have VGK TV analyst Shane Knight. Shane is a longtime NHL player and became a TV broadcaster and is now with the Golden Knights. Shane, I want to go a lot of places with you. Oh welcome, boy. To the, welcome to the studio. Um, but first, I want to ask you about Vegas. You placed a bet on this city and this franchise. And if you were to cash the ticket today, would it be a win? Absolutely. Without question. And I think we all kind of have in our minds certain times you foresee something that you believe in. And I, I fondly remember when this this team was announced. So my years might be off. It would have been November 2017, sometime in there. Probably 15, Fif- yeah. Yeah, 15 yeah. was announced. But then when they started the logo and everything, and it was when I was still working for the Winnipeg Jets, and I just remember uh, Vegas. I just, for whatever reason, remember it was around, you know, the beginning of the season, November, and uh, I'm like, man, that, that that's somewhere. I, I just think uh, you're putting a city in the entertainment capital, first pro sports team. Uh, I, something in me thought it would work. To the level it has, yeah, probably not. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I would cash out uh, very big right now for for the whole experience. And it goes beyond, sure, the great success of the Golden Knights. For me, for me, it was a lot more. It was about uh, growth of a game that has been my whole life, uh, the game of hockey, and to see how it's been embraced and the passion for it here in the city that goes, you know, the Golden Knights certainly brought that, but to see it in kids and, and, and the adults and the fans and, and everyone in the way it's growing from a grassroots level, the way the organization ha- has really become, you know, you know, connected with the community and the community with it. It's just been in so many ways more than I expected, but at the same time, as much as I'm surprised to the level of success, I'm not surprised that it's been successful. It's you worked in other markets. Well, you got to Ottawa a little while later, and then, but it was an expansion franchise, but in a in a traditional market in a place where you yeah. know they'd had hockey for a long time. But you also played in Nashville and Atlanta at different junctures in your career, which were. Uh, I'd throw Anaheim and Arizona in there to a certain extent yeah. as well. But really, Atlanta and Nashville, it was very early on in their um, in their progression has franchises in non-traditional places. Atlanta failed. Nashville has, has taken off. Why has Vegas succeeded? I think you got to put the right product on the ice. It's very important. And, you know, obviously they have the backing of Bill Foley who wants to put you know, winning team on the ice and George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and, and their staff, the the way they were able to navigate themselves through that expansion draft. And and not only to put a, a competitive team, but they had a and it's interesting to watch now. They put a brand of hockey that is now being copied. It, it, you know, the NHL is a league that, you know, copies success. You know, there's a time in the early 2000s, part of the Boston Bruins, the big physical, you know, wear you down teams. The LA Kings, we won 2011. The Kings win a couple cups. Then Chicago speedy, Pittsburgh speedy. And then all of a sudden depth, speed 
work ethic, a relentless forecheck. Well, you got the Golden Knights that astonished everyone last year. You've got Carolina Hurricanes this year, what they did, who are very similar to that style. You had the New York Islanders. We've seen the upsets. Um, so George, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon had an idea of the type of hockey, the type of brand. They went for speed. They went for smarts, guys that could think the game, high character players, um, and that's why it's worked. They, they've been able to make themselves competitive, not only now, but for a long run with the moves they've made. And certainly, you know, Bill Foley and being a cap team helps you get to that place. I can remember in the summer I, I was hired in, uh, I started in on June 7th of, of 2017. So I was here for, you know, about a month before the expansion draft and, you know, kind of got to see what was going yeah. on. But there was this guy around the building, Johnny Greco, who... Johnny is the VP of entertainment uh, and oh, yeah. in-game entertainment. But they were talking about him, and I was kind of, okay. And I didn't, you know. Then one day they told me, yeah, we're going to have uh, a, a a night mask that's going to be lowered down. And we're talking about all these things. And I was like, it, it, to me, it just never registered. And then there we were the night of the first uh for the first home game. And obviously that one was different, but we started getting introduced to what the entertainment team were doing. And, and I was like, I remember driving home one night thinking if I had seen that in another market five years ago, I would have been, what the heck is this? But if I have to look at myself in the mirror and ask myself, honestly, I love it. What do, what do you think of it? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that that has a big place in the success of this organization. What they've been able to do, you mentioned Johnny Greco, the whole you know in-game staff that that puts this presentation on this show. And, and does, would it work everywhere? Probably not, but it works in Vegas. It works to a very high level. People love it. They they had a vision and. Uh, I don't have that type of creative mind and I'm probably more of a traditionalist than anyone, but I came in and I loved it. Uh, does it work everywhere? No, but, but don't I, you find yourself, I think it's needed in the NHL now more and more. Don't you find yourself on the road some nights thinking, wow, I wish yes. I was in Vegas tonight. Well, you do. You, you <laughs> notice it and Winnipeg's a loud building, but it's loud for the game. That's it. And, and to me, you look at ticket prices, you look at what goes on around the league. Now, when you go to a game, it's gotta be more, the on ice pr- product is exactly what you pay for, but there's gotta be more. And, and you can think of the NBA that does it really well. And, and you take a piece of that. So I think Vegas is kind of revolutionized. I think Nashville to an extent did it. And you're seeing other teams starting to do more and more. And, and you should, it, it's, it's about evolving with the times. So I think that's been absolutely, it's a great point. That, and then the logistics of it. You've, you've got an arena that comes off the strip of, of Las Vegas that you, you can be out walking around and all of a sudden you have this beautiful Toshiba Plaza that just funnels right off. You've got entertainment going on. I, I can't think of a better place where you'd want to go and watch a hockey game. And uh, just everything is at a, such a high level. Uh, the people that were brought in for this organization, and I mentioned Cali, but you could go right through for from you know the president, the ticketing to sponsorship to to sale to everything has done the right job. There was a vision Bill Foley had; it has been executed uh, perfectly all around, and it's that's why this team's successful. And you know, you mentioned others. I look at Atlanta. Well, part of it was. And you've got to manage a team right. We had, we, I was there the only time we won the Southeast Division, we went to playoffs. We got swept in four, but it was a turn. We were selling out, and then, boom, they made a bunch of decisions to this day. I don't understand. The team got kind of imploded, and they 
never recovered. So uh, if you can't have success on the ice, you're going to end. then Atlanta, I don't know if it's, everybody said it wasn't a sports city or hockey city here. It's way more than Atlanta. It is Atlanta. You can look at, uh, you can look at the baseball and basketball, even the football trouble. It's a college sports town. So you've got to have the right market and Vegas certainly is the right market for hockey. I get a tweet about once a month during the regular season after I've worn a blue suit on television saying, you should dress more like Shane Knight. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, and you do have a flair for it. Where does that come from? Maybe my mom. I, you know, it's interesting because I think when I got to the NHL, like, you know, coming from the American Hockey League, International Hockey League, I didn't think much of it. It was just a suit. In junior, we'd wear a suit on the road and usually leave it rolled up on top of the bus because you just, we'd such long bus rides, you'd take it off, kind of dust it off, put it on to go in the arena, go back on, take it off, put your track suit for the seven, eight hour bus ride. But uh, I remember, uh, and it's funny, I think Curtis LeCision, who I played with in Ottawa, was into style. So I kind of, you know, and there's a bunch of guys. So when you start playing and you see guys competitive, and I, I liked it. I liked these suits. I finally, you know, getting suits made for me. And it, it developed there, but nobody saw us. There was no social media when I played. So nobody saw us walking into the rink and walking out. That Once was the only time. Yeah, hockey night in Canada. Yeah, show very the guys rare, the building, but, but very yes, rare back yeah. in the early 2000s or through the 2000s. Um, and then when I got into... You know, broadcasting, I'm like, and then I started wearing some of my nice suits and they're like, oh, and then, you know, I had people approach me and then it, it became a thing. So now I'm like, well, I, I love getting nice clothes and I'm very particular about what I want to wear. And, you know, sometimes people won't like it, but I don't care. I think style's defined by what you like, not by what other people like. Uh, so I like to have a little bit of my, well, not a little bit, I like a lot of my own input on when I get a suit made and how it matches up and shirts and ties. And uh, it became a thing in Winnipeg when I really started doing TV there. And then uh, when it came here, I knew I had to take, I had to step it up another level. So uh, I don't think I'm there yet. I, I really think there's a lot of room for improvement for, for all of us, Gary, but certainly uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've got another level to get to. And, and I, I like to walk the line. Like I, every now and then I like to pull out something really funky, but I don't want to, you know, people say Don, I, I'm not, I don't want to no, be Don Cherry. No, there's no, only, you know, no, that's, no, that's, no. Over the top. There's a lot of people. I don't want to be over the well, top. Well, that's his style. There, there is. But and you then, have your style. And there's some people who like over. I don't like over the top. I like to, you know, to walk that line every now and then, maybe take a, you know, half a foot or a big step over. Well, it was, I have to tell you, it was one of my favorite nights of the year. I had a new suit made from our friend Jimmy Kerner and I wore it to the rink and three or four people said to me, did you get that from Shane? Did Shane pick <laughs> that up for start, you? Maybe I should start my own line. <laughs> there you go. The 90 collection. Absolutely. I love to go to you with player stuff because you're the former yeah. player and you have that perspective that, that no one else has. If you're a player with the Golden Knights and you see that Bill Foley is willing to pay two guys at that top-end executive salary, what does it say to you? Team first. 100%. This is no one person's ahead of the team. And it, that's the way I think uh, the whole organization's run. And certainly when you can see that at higher levels, it, it's the trickle-down effect. That, should, that, that filters into the room. And they've, they've maintained that in that room with the players that, yeah, that no one's above anybody else. Salaries, whatever, points, doesn't matter. And having come from a Stanley Cup team, I think the one thing you learn when you finally get there is how important roles are. And everybody has a role to play and every role is equally important, whether you play 22 minutes a game or whether you play 12 minutes a game, how you execute your role, 
equivalates to the team having success. So um, I think it was a tremendous move. You know, George McPhee, you know, stepping back, that's him being unselfish, recognizing, you know what, we have an opportunity for Kelly. And, and for me personally, being from Manitoba, Kelly McCrimmon's watched me play hockey since I was 12 years old. I've known him. I uh, had his brother coach me in Atlanta, who was a huge mentor and probably one of the most impactful coaches I ever had in my career and, and miss as much as everybody who's ever touched by Brad McCrimmon. So to see Kelly get that, uh, uh, really proud of, of him because no one outworks that family. They really don't. And he's got such a smart hockey mind and, and you don't want to lose an asset like that in an organization. So uh, it speaks volumes to me, to the player, to anybody involved. What happens at the top? Uh, tremendous, tremendous move. You're in great shape, and uh, Getting we, there. we watch you. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you'll uh, say something on the plane, like, you know, uh, I'm not. Uh, I haven't been to the gym in a couple of weeks, and and then immediately you make that switch and you make some sacrifices, and we notice, like for for people that don't really understand, you know, we're like a team. The the, yes. the broadcasters, we we sit across from Dan and I sit in two seat Dan Duve and I sit in, in one row on the plane and Shane and Dave are right across from us and we go for dinner together and we 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 share Ubers to the yeah. to the rink and back and forth. So we, we know lots about one another. We're friends too. So yes. it's 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 pretty cool. But we'll notice you'll say, okay, I gotta and you'll you know you'll stop you'll change the way you're eating and then you're working out a little bit more. Why is it so important to you to be in such great shape? Well, I think I've always maintained. I think the last two months is when I've made the biggest changes to it. Uh, going back to beginning of March, I hired a trainer, a guy named Michael Sheedy, who's been fantastic, and uh, I've changed my whole eating. And, and let, I'll be honest. I love beer and yeah. red wine more than anyone. So to cut that well, out was not anyone, easy. But... And so I've cut that out. Eventually, I'll bring like back to minimal. You still, there's nothing wrong yes. with enjoying it. But uh, it's important to me. Well, health-wise, I'm I'm 43 now, and I think maintaining was good, but wasn't good enough for me. Um, and, and I think when you know, for me personally, I, I enjoy. I'm I live a better life when I work out. So. It's become more important, and I've actually taken it to a new level. So, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm hoping when September comes around, it'll be a, a new, more felt uh, Shane Knighty. <laughs> but the only problem is I might have to change some of my suits. So I might, and that, it gives me, an, maybe that's why I'm doing it. it. gives me an excuse to get a whole new line. <laughs> um, we were, you know, obviously referees have been a huge topic of conversation. And you played in a different era where, you know, the referees, it, it, well, everything wasn't on social media. Every game wasn't on TV. And towards yeah. the end, it was. But, like, now everything they do is, you know, looked at nine nine oh, different yeah. ways. It's it's become a really difficult job. It already was a tough job. It's become even more difficult when, when you consider the microscope. How did you deal with the referees when you played? I think it was it was a different time, right? There, you fought, right? And, I and fought, the referees yeah, are important were, they to they guys were, that fight. They were, and they understood. There was a lot more explain, conversation. Explain, explain why they're important to guys that fight. Well, they would they would because they knew when to get in. They'd leave, give you a room. It was a they they the officiating was different then too, right? So they'd allow a little bit more to go. There was more of a trust factor. Uh, between the players and the ref, in the sense that okay, guys, you got two or three more whacks. The next guy who does it. Got it. Like they talked if you're in a battle in the front of the net and the rules, this, I could go back to, you know, when I started 2000 till 04, when 
the rules didn't change. When you could still hold up guys, you could stand in front, defending the front of that, you stood there and you just cross-check each other. You usually get two or three free, and then they would say to you, okay, next one gets it. Um, you know, it played in time when it was a three-man crew. And then they went to, you know, the the four-man. So it is, it is a thankless job. It is a hard job. I think back then the officiating was maybe a little easier for the facts you said that you couldn't, there wasn't as many camera angles or wasn't, you know, the slow it down, the, you know, the way TVs changed the game. They can't get it right. You can't get it right. They can't get it right. And it is such, and now the speed of the game's picked up. So it's changed in that fact. The, the rules have changed. The speed's changed. Everything happens. Everything's analyzed. You can get an angle. There's reviews. Um, it, it is a tough, tough job. I respect I respect the guys for what they do, and mistakes are going to happen. Human error, it, you, you can't avoid it in those situations. They, they do it the best they can. This is one of the things that I loved about what Marcia so said. Like, Marcia so wasn't angry at the referees. Yeah. I'm talking about the Cody Eakin major in Game 7 of Round 1 versus the San Jose Sharks, and Marcia so spoke after the game, and he wasn't angry at the referees. He said, it's a fast game. There's human error. Give them help. Give them help. It was re- His comments in the moment were really good. Um, when you're fighting, obviously, and I want to talk a little bit about fighting because it's one of the things that, yeah. uh, l- listen, you were a good player. That wasn't just an element of your game. It was. It was, it was an important element, and it might, may have helped you get there. Oh, absolutely but, did. But that's not why you stayed as long as you no. did and played as much as you did. You were a good player. The the, the linesman, and I don't think, I'm not sure a lot of people understand this, their number one job is to protect the player. So just take us through, you know, maybe a situation where you're locked up with a guy and the linesmen are involved and in how important they are in making sure that no one really gets, uh, that, that no one gets, I can't say that no one injured. Does. Well, yeah, there's guys get hurt, but you, but you don't want something catastrophic to no, happen in the moment. No, and you can look back to the seventies. Hard for them to get in because there'd be four or five fights going on at once. Yeah, uh, you know when we played. Uh, so when you'd fight, they'd they'd let you go. They'd give you a certain amount of time to get engaged if you're gonna you know square off or if it was you know. Most of mine would happen heat of the moment. I wasn't, uh, you know, a premeditated type guy. It did happen every now and then. Um, but they'd let you go. And then, you know, you can tell if somebody becomes vulnerable, then they know when to jump in and they jump in. And most guys in that time would let up, uh, you know, and, and then you really believe time. in that stuff, right? Like, in, oh, yeah. and, I, and I watched you play and I've known you since yeah. you were 20 years old. You, you were an honest guy. And if you've got a guy in a bad situation, you would stop. I would. Yeah. yeah. There would be times and then there'd be other times when you wouldn't. And hopefully you, that's when they would read it right to get in and grab your arm or whatever. Cause you'd and get talk carried you away. Down. Cause it's, there was certain times, probably yeah. more late nineties when I played in the minors and it was, you know, a little wilder, Yeah, uh, you know, playing in Grand Rapids in the old international hike league i remember you know there's sometimes there'd be an incident that would happen and it was against one of your teammates that today would be probably a 10 game suspension back then it was a penalty and you'd lose your mind so you know i'm glad those things have changed i think for the safety of the game they needed to to an extent so um you know what It, it i respected the officials then and they they really respected our type of players you and I have had this conversation. It's kind of been an ongoing conversation <laughs> for about 10 years. And, and and I go into different places. You know, I can remember when I was first 
started to be a reporter. I was in Thunder Bay and it was the Colonial Hockey oh, League. Yeah. And it was uh, like, I, I don't want to disrespect any of the players because a lot of those guys want to play in the NHL. But, it, and Bush League isn't the right word for it, but it was, violence was part of the, was part of the package. And the, one of the teams I covered had Bruce Ramsey, who I you played, played with, Mel, Mel Angelstad, who you fought, right? You know what I mean? And it was, <laughs> it was part of what you, and, and it, it was part of what, was sold there yeah. and I watched it and, and I enjoyed it. And then I got to a place where I saw a couple of guys get their head smashed on the ice, like get knocked out and fall. And, and that, I don't even know if you can hear the thud, but you can feel it. And, and I got scared a couple of times for the player. Yeah. Oh. And so then, and then we started to learn about concussions and, and we still have a ton to learn. So then I went all the way, you know, to, uh, I went all the way to the other side where there should be no fighting. And now I've come to a place where I, I, I don't think that's realistic. I think there is always going to be, like there's almost none now. I do think there's always going to be that type of guy in the NHL that if you do something to him and he doesn't like it and the referee doesn't do enough about it, he's going to take matters into his own hands and he's going to fight. And I don't have any problem with those fights. I really don't. I, that To me, that... Inter that the combustion that happens inside a game once in a while it happens it happens in every sport you put grown men onto or uh, onto a, a, a playing surface and they're playing for money it's a livelihood yeah. once in a while it's it, it's going to go over the top because and it's not the same as a boardroom <laughs> it, no. it, it, this is a physical contest, and and in many ways, the players are gladiators. So, I, I'd like to hear where you think we are on fighting. If there should be more, there should be less, or and maybe you think I'm wrong, and it is eventually going to disappear. I don't think it can ever completely disappear, and I believe that for it's you don't get to the NHL unless you're an extremely highly competitive person. You're playing in an emotionally charged sport. Um, and it's going to happen. I think we're, we're past, I, I get past the, the premeditated and let's line up or unless something happens, I still enjoy a good fight. I I'll, I'll admit it, but I have swung a lot from where I've used to be. I understand. And the concerns and the safeties and, and the concussions, uh, the safety of players and, and the life after hockey. Trust me, I, I more than anything, I want these guys uh, to be able to prepare for life after hockey and be able to enjoy it. So uh, the way it was can't go back. That It's gone. I think they've moved in the right way. I think hockey's in a good place now. I think you're still going to see fights. And I think, you know, it's going to happen. You're seeing some fights now between guys you would never expect. You know, we saw Blake Wheeler and Mark Stone. I thought it was great. Mark Stone leveled them. Blake Wheeler didn't like it. You're talking about the top two best players of each team. Um, and that's happening around the league. Nobody got hurt out of it. I'm sure the both GMs had their eyes closed for that. <laughs> uh, so, but that's an example of it's an emotionally charged sport, and it's gonna happen, even with those type of guys. Yeah. Um, and that, and and, uh, I'm, and, and, we're and you yeah, we're not, we're I don't not. Mind that. There's no more one trick guys that are no. just in the league. No. Like Ryan Reeves is a great example. How many fights did he have this year? Yeah. Like Derek Anglin, who came very similar to me the way he came in the league. He needed that element to get in the league. He's adjusted his game like I had to to a point where you get, got to play and just be physical and smart and move the puck. Very similar player. So, uh, you know, fighting has gone, but it's still good. I think it's still important to have 
that I don't want to use the word fear, but the, you know, that, uh, that tool of, uh, of intimidation for it or else if it's not there, you get, then I think the headshots go up. I think the sticks and I think the other play really does. Um, so whether I'm right or wrong, we'll wait and see where this game goes. But uh, I think it's in a real good place right now. I think it's hey, whoever's watched the playoffs has been more entertaining than right now. I don't we, think so. No, we went to we both worked at TSN together at the same time, and and we were encouraged to get involved in social media. And uh, you know, you like to fool around with the Instagram. I'm more of a Twitter guy, but it's. Uh, um, I'm brutal at both. <laughs> no, you're pretty good at Instagram. Uh, the the whole social media thing, though, it has it's changed the game. It's changed the way we view it. It's changed the way information is passed. Bob McKenzie's career. Bob McKenzie was, you know, really the the the, the gold standard in media. Bob it, father. It, yes, exactly. And then he added Twitter to his arsenal, and he went to a complete no- different place. Twitter changed Bob McKenzie's career and made him, you know, the most influential media member in, in the hockey world. So, first of all, if you were a player, would you use it? You know, what, what do you think of the whole thing? Yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one. I think players, uh, I, I think that's the world we're in. I know I need to get better at it, and and I have to come off my the old way of thinking of well, I don't want to put this out there, I don't want to put that out there. It's you know more private, keep it you know close to the chest. But I, I think it's beneficial, especially for what I'm in now for players. I think to a certain extent, yeah. I, I think you, you've got to utilize it in the right way. And you mentioned, uh, you know, Bob McKenzie. I'll never forget 2010. I was in, in Phoenix at that time's camp. A guy named Paul Bissnett was with Twitter. And I remember Don Maloney was calling him in the office. I was only there for a month, but he's, <laughs> he's going over line. But he was about the only guy on it then. But he foresaw. And now yeah. you can see he's on everything. He's got endorsement he's really, he's deals. Really he's got his career he, for sure. He is and. Credit to him that recognize, you know, that you can you can expand, you can really brand, you can market it. And, and those are things I think are, are important for guys because hockey only lasts so long. And I think if you use it the right way, absolutely, I think players should for their personalities. And that's something hockey players struggle with. I still do. And I'm going to try and improve it as we move forward here to get more, you know, more out there on social media. It, it It's weird. There's I think there's a lot of negative to it. Paul Bissonnette, him and I met over Twitter. We had a disagreement. I tweeted something. He jumped on me. I jumped on him back. And then I said, you know what? Why don't you come on my radio show tomorrow? Let's talk about this. And he did. And we had a great conversation on the radio. And then, you know, now we're both in the kind of, yeah. uh, we have similar roles now with different organizations. And, you know, we're, we're good friends. I see him. We, we hug. You know what I mean? But but when I was in Arizona, it was funny. Like all the guys, oh, what's he doing on his yeah. Twitter? But <laughs> <laughs> for sure, he's he, he was a guy that, you know, he never made a ton of money as a player. He, he needed to keep going. And... It, He's going to make a lot of money. Oh, he he's is. not he's making some now. He is now. He's right? doing really yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, today's player, obviously, well, actually, let's stick with this for a minute because something happened between uh, Brad Marchant and the media covering his series. And so he was on yeah, uh, I saw He it. was on ho- Hockey Night in Canada after the game. He gave one-word answers, like on live television. And then he went into the dressing room and the reporters got him. And he gave them one-word answers. But then he went and he got on his phone after and he started tweeting and communicating with people. So, and to me, it's almost like the light's gone on for him where, yeah, I don't need you guys. I'll do it myself. 
And it's and it's a very interesting place. Uh, I, I don't agree with it entirely because I came up in the media, and uh, well, I'm still in the media, a form of media. But their players have choices. They do. I, I don't agree. I think you see, and, and I've known Brad while well, Marshy, known him since we cupped together, and I, I've actually been on vacation where he was, and I, so I've known him. But you guys are buddies. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. We when we see each other, right? Yes. He always will be. <laughs> he's an interesting. I always say he, he's five foot whatever eight. He says nine. He's lucky to be <laughs> seven. He's a hundred point guy. He's an elite player. player. And, and he isn't that unless he's always on edge and willing to cross the line. He does some absolutely stupid things. You no think question. I think the Boston Bruins would trade him? But no. No, no way. But if he doesn't, but I, I really believe this. If he isn't that guy that crosses the line, he isn't the type of player. I think that's what drives him he's to success. Exactly. The first one I thought was because of a remark about sharpening. His, he got a question earlier, sharpening your skates, the break sticks. So I thought he's mad. But then you're right. He went back in the room and the same thing. So now I'm wondering, and I haven't read his comments. Uh, he yeah, was that he went smirking out. during the, yeah. in the dressing room. Mm. They, he had a little but smile. But he, he somebody could have bet him. Who knows what's yes, going on there? Yeah. I, I'd like to, <laughs> it's a question I will ask. I, I will find out eventually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is. But you're right. Maybe it is just he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to create my own, build my own brand. Now, you mentioned uh, the Stanley Cup, and, and you were a Stanley Cup winner. And uh, it's it's interesting, you know, there are things that players experience that no one else will ever experience. Other you know, you, people can win the Stanley Cup as a member of an organization, and obviously there are a ton of people other than just the players that are important to, to, to getting to that goal. But... To be a player your whole life and to have that moment where you get to lift the Stanley Cup. Well, I don't know. Yeah. What's it like? Well, it's the pinnacle, right? You, uh, you think back to me growing up in Nipah, Manitoba and uh, pretending to raise that Stanley Cup. Uh, I don't know how many times in, in playing, you know, road hockey in the cold winters on the streets. Or if we were lucky, we'd sneak in the tennis court because it was really smooth. Uh, but they'd get mad because the paint would chip for the summer. But, uh, you know, and then, you know, the hard work, everything. Because that's the ultimate goal from when you start the process of this game. You start that long journey. You know, it's to, to get, for me, it was to get to junior hockey, to get to pro hockey, to get to the NHL. to And then as soon as you hit the NHL, the, the goal every year on every team is to win the Stanley Cup. And... Uh, you know, to finally be able to do that and, and, and to play, you know, through my career with veteran guys, great players, guys that played 20 years that never had a chance to do it. So uh, it, it is better. And then, you know, the sacrifice of family, parents, my brother, my, you know, my wife and children. It was and, and to share it with everyone and, and people who supported my hometown. It, it's there's so many. Everybody says you can't put in words. It's almost I can't find enough words to put it into and uh, something treasure and you care with it the rest of your life. You've got a picture at home with, uh, with all of your, uh, your wife and all your kids and everybody's in a, in a Bruins Jersey and you're all holding the cup. And it's one of those things. I remember I saw it and I was just, uh, I was uh, like, I just thought, wow, what a keepsake. Well, it's what pretty a, cool, right? Cause a it's, a, it's a black and white picture, except the, the jerseys are in color and, yeah. You know, it's I always said I always bleed black and gold, so I'm I'm glad that uh, those colors are pretty much involved with the <laughs> Golden Knights because now they're they're number one. But uh, I'll say I was a little happy for the Bruins. You know, a, a friend of mine sent me a picture yesterday, a little video yesterday of his nephew, 
scoring a goal in a in a showcase game and uh, the kid's a real great young hockey player but he does other stuff too good and well that's you know I know listen one of the things that drives me nuts about you is if we handed Shane a tennis racket t- tomorrow he'd be really good at it I, he can hit the golf ball a million miles you can ski you but you enjoy and you were happy as a kid to be able to play yeah. baseball, to be able to play a little bit of football, to play soccer, whatever. Why is like? Why would you ever want to just limit yourself to just like? I don't think it makes a pure. So what I'm getting at is some people pick one sport for their kid, and that's it. They don't do anything else. That doesn't make sense to me. No, and it, it's you know it's kind of the what we're seeing in society now. You're you're if you want to be successful, you got to do this this sport. And it's not just high; it's any sport. You've got to do this for twelve months. And you know, I think there's a burnout. I think there's a time when you decide. Uh, yeah, I, there was not a sport I don't think I didn't play. My buddy, we played tennis, we played baseball, I played football, I played volleyball, I played basketball, I golfed, hockey, uh, pretty much anything that wasn't schoolwork. I was happy to do. Uh, <laughs> sports came easy to me. For my brother, it was the opposite. Uh, <laughs> That said, uh, it was it, I think it was instrumental in, you know, the ability. And I remember an article not long ago, Jordan Spieth, his parents talking about him playing baseball and and the importance on that and what it has to his golf swing. And it just from pitching and, uh, you know, there's articles I've read tons of them about the importance of other sports for your body and transfer of weight and everything that relates to everything. So I think it's I think it's imperative for for you know, kids to take time off and it's fine to have your main sport, but go out and do another one. Take some time off. It is so important, but, but society does pressure you. If you want to make the NHL at 12, well, you've got to play on this team in winter. Then you've got to play on this spring league. Then you better do summer league because you want to make this team back. And well, and it becomes, if you're good, you'll get noticed. Trust me. And it becomes political because the the coaches that that have a certain age group, they're coaching the winter team and then they're coaching the summer team, and if you play for the winter team and then you don't play for them in the summer, maybe when they come around to pick the team yeah. in the fall, you're not in the mix anymore. And here's the thing that bothers me, and for parents, they don't live through your kids. And one of my you know worst things you see eleven and twelve year old, they're like, well, he loves it, he wants to do it all the time. At eleven and twelve. Your kid probably wants to drive the car. Are you going to let him? No. You've got to <laughs> parent it. So allow yeah. them to do other things. Don't let them burn out at an early age. I've seen it too many times. You know, the thing that I, that I, that I, when I want us to be, to be turned into the two old guys on the Muppets, but uh, the, the, they don't get to play anymore. Like, like you're talking about all these things. Oh yeah. We played 90% of those things you did without any supervision. Yes. It was just kids. Like my hockey experiences, uh, I, you know, the, the, the thing I remember more than anything else, more than playing in the rink yeah. was playing on the outdoor rink at the yeah. top of the street. I took my skates to school with me in the morning and on the way home from school, pulled them out of the bag, put them on and skated from four till six when I knew dinner started with all my pals. And that was the greatest thing ever. It was great for your imagination. It was because you were pretending you were yeah. Larry Robinson or Gila Fleur. I'm aging myself, but you know, you know, I mean, you you were pretending you were those guys, and you were have like these dreams were coming, and it was just you built your relationships with your friends. When something happened and it needed to be settled, you guys settled it together, and they're, you know. 
just all of these great things happened as part of growing up as a youth that then you translated into everything else you did. Absolutely. Like. And I think one of the things I love seeing here in Vegas, which was astonishing last year is road hockey, yeah. ball hockey, I guess to call it here. We call it road hockey, called ball hockey, whatever. It's uh, some nets, but seeing that growth here and that allows kids to get out and do stuff, whether it's that, whether it's going to park, we, like I said, we, we, I did high. I loved high. I was around the rink. I was in a small town. Whenever I'd have my skates there, I'd move the nets. I'd help the Zamboni guy. And whenever there was 15 minutes, there was me and a couple buddies that pretty much hung around the rink all day on the weekends or when it was holidays uh, at night. And we'd get on whenever we can outside practices and games. But as soon as that snow melted, it was gone. It was, we were out playing baseball. And again, we went from road hockey every night ball hockey to uh, you know if it wasn't playing on our baseball team we were out with the tennis ball and we we're playing in the field or uh i think it was it's important to have that and to learn and uh, it certainly drove uh, i grew up with a buddies that uh, a lot of the competitiveness uh, was was bred out of those games yeah for sure now i saw i heard about a road hockey game in vegas this year that dave gosher was involved in and he was like I played in one too. Slashing the children oh, yeah. and well, pushing them out of the way and try, try, trying to live out his childhood dreams as a full-grown adult. Yeah, it's, it, was, it wasn't pretty. It was embarrassing. Well, I was on his team the one time and we, we <laughs> I passed. I don't try to score. He, yeah, he, he, he's a bit of a bully. <laughs> Jay, this was great. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Gary. Good time. Yep, this was great. So this is the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave interview series. I'm Gary Lawless. This was Shane Knighty, our guest. We'll be back soon. Thank you.